Lord, the one who is today with us, Lord, the one that was, you've always been with your people. So Lord, we just thank you that you are the one that was with your people, that is with your people, and that you will come to rescue your people for one last time. Lord, that You are to come, Jesus. And how do we know that? We know that the Holy Spirit confirms that. We're not asking that You prove that, Lord. Some of us know absolutely that You are here with us. That You came in the form of a, of a human, fully human and fully God. We thank You for Your arrival, God. We thank You for Your arrival into our life. We just ask, Lord, that we can continue to understand your eternal presence. It's a huge wave over our lives, Lord. Not one to, to toss us to and fro, but one of massive power and love and engagement and relationship that we are actually, on the contrary, not tossed to and fro, but we are secure in you because you are the one true God. And Lord, for those who are contemplating, that have even meditated and, and spoke and prayed and are asking for You to reveal Yourself, Lord, we ask that, that You would indeed be all the more revealed to all of us today, but to those for the first time that, that understand the shipwrecked life without You. And so Lord, we ask that You would move upon us all and move us from those shipwrecked places and that You would continue to call us through Your Word this morning. We love You so very much, Lord. We look forward and are anticipating our response to the Word, to what You quicken in our hearts, to what You arouse, the renewing of our minds and our hearts, the freshness of Your mercy today, Lord. We thank You so very much, God, as we uh, listen to Your Word, and I pray we obey it, and that we uh, will respond to a life of worship. Thank you, God. Thank you for uh, every single person in here. Thank you that you are already working in their life by bringing them here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It's good to see you. Uh, will you turn your Bibles to Philippians? That's where we've been. Uh, for a couple months now, we've been talking about what does it mean to partner with each other? What does it mean to be in partnership with God? To be in partnership with His power? And uh, watching that become manifest. And uh, as God unites us, and as He's been uniting us, and, and she, the Word has uh, been coaxing us, uh, maybe even convicting us to be of the same mindset, uh, to, be, to have the same love. We described that a couple times. What does it mean to have uh, the same love, a mutual love for each other? And uh, as we've been talking about that, and as Paul has been speaking to the Philippian church, and as the Scriptures today have been speaking to us, uh, I hope that you're beginning to see more and more clearly the fullness of who Jesus is. 
The idea here is that uh, whether we were to take a whole chapter and preach through it, or as we have last week and this week, preach one verse, that we would see more and more of who Jesus is. Sometimes we're pulling the lens back and we're saying, oh, modeling this behavior, having this kind of love, being in unity in this way, that's Jesus. And then we look at, when we see Jesus, sometimes it's a reflection of, of the fullness that we lack. Sometimes of our lack of completeness. And Paul talks about that in Philippians to say, Make my joy complete, that you would be being made complete. And so there's a process that we see. And so last week, we saw that there was a part of the process where we participate with God um, in this spiritual life, that there's a place for us. In fact, the words of Paul were to say that you work out your salvation. And that's kind of... Kind of weird to hear. We, we hear a lot of times that it's only by faith, it's only by grace. It means that, that God's got a lot of space for you to be broken before Him and that, that there's an unmerited, that, that you're not going to work out your salvation. In our minds, we're saying, I'm not going to work it out to the point where I'm ever going to be good enough, which is a correct thought. You can't work out your salvation to, to save yourself. You cannot present yourself before God ever clean enough, ever holy enough. And so when he says, work out your salvation, sometimes that hits us a little weird, like what does that mean? And what that means is that there's a participation in what it means to live a saved life. A life that recognizes that your whole life has been rescued by God. And so what he's saying is work out your salvation, like, like put on a jacket. And get comfortable in it. The, the coat of salvation. The garment of salvation, Isaiah says. That, that you would start to work understand what that means to live as somebody that's uh, been saved, rescued. The word salvation, right? That's where we were last week. Where it said, work out your salvation. And, and we thought, well, how do you practically do that? How do you begin to, to, to explore what Jesus put on you, which is salvation? How you do that is you begin to follow Jesus and to see how He behaves as the one who saves. We begin to take a good look as, as followers of Christ, not just as a label of Christian, but as those who say, I'm actively following Christ. That's how you're working out your salvation as God uses the process as you follow Him we see what? We see that we have a fellowship with Him as He had with the Father and the Holy Spirit. So here's some practical ways that we work our salvation. One is we follow Christ. Two is that we recognize Christ was in fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And we see a role and responsibility. So as we follow Christ... Sometimes that's new news to us to go, oh, here's what biblical manhood looks like, or here's what biblical womanhood looks like. Here's what it means for me to have a role in God's kingdom. As I follow Jesus, I find that I have a role and a responsibility. And in that, God brings me into fellowship with each other. Remember, Royce had a really good illustration to say, in God's economy, in the Scriptures, when you're living 
You don't, there's no individual sports. There's no individual spiritual sport where you just contend and you just train by yourself. No, he would say it'd be like an Olympics that have no individual sports. It'd only be team sports. So as you follow Christ, you would see that you have a place in his kingdom as you're working out salvation. But there's a place for you in the community to be working out that salvation. And then there's a place of learning. As God brings us into that fellowship, there's a place of learning. We also need to recognize and receive that God has reached out for us. A part, a huge part of what this big religious sounding word, sanctification, a huge part of this is yes, we're participating by seeking God, but also recognizing what we receive in Him. What we receive from Him. The knowledge the wisdom that God gives us. As, as you start to follow Christ, the Bible says veils of deception in us and God. And so what happens as you, as you follow and as you start to understand what it means to live in salvation, you'll start to see what binds you and what doesn't bind you. And you'll start to, to have these veils of deception that will give you a greater recognition of who God is in your life and who you are in His kingdom. So last week, we talked a lot about working our salvation and, and the practical steps of that. And the, the end, well, for me, the part that kind of summed it up, and he could have had five more points last week, but what got me was the fear and trembling line. So I work out my salvation in fear and trembling, which means there's an earnest, there's a brevity there's a weight. It's not that I'm big scaredy pants. It's that there's a fear and trembling as I come before God and go, this is what you gave me. You're asking me to wear this well. You're asking me to participate in the way that I wear this. There's an obedience. And that's why we follow Christ because He models perfectly what it means to live in this holy or sacred state. What's been given to you is holy and sacred. What's been given to us in Jesus Christ, even though it's a bloody mess of, a, of, of, of the cross, but what's been given to us is a status that's totally blameless and without blemish before God. That's what you're wearing. You're wearing His perfection. And He's asking us to participate in how that gets worked out in this lifetime. kind of an interesting theological spot because what happens is as we walk and as we understand where we're at and as God's working out this salvation of us going, okay, I'm a saved person and I'm in a sacred realm. What does that mean as you adopted me and justified me, God? It's kind of a weird tension to be living life as a, as a Christ follower in a broken setting amidst a lot of our own brokenness. But I, I want you to know um, God has not only working it out presently with you, that it's completely worked out. As, as there's a process as we live our lives, there's also an end in mind. There's, a, there's an end picture of what it means to live and walk with God. And that we've instantaneously been justified and sanctified. The, the process is actually over. We're just living out the cross. So as God's working in us, we're working out of that. Let me put it in simple terms if you're a note taker. 
All of that comes down to this. How am I living with God? And the two important things that we see in verse 12 and verse 13 is this. That we have a human responsibility. That was last week. We have a responsibility to respond in light. See the context, right? The framework is that we've been saved. So we have a responsibility as saved people to live a certain way. And he also said that earlier in Philippians. He says, there's a manner in which you live. Are you living in a manner worthy of of the gospel, of you being saved, of the power of God? Do you live in response to that power? And then the other thing that we're going to explore today is that there's a divine enablement. So there's human responsibility, so that's our part. And then the other part is that there's a divine enablement. So we're partnering with God toward us living out what salvation means. This is pretty heavy stuff. This is why I think we, we just said one verse apiece on this subject. Two weeks of it. Here's what it comes down to. Let me try and be really simple. Which is close to impossible for me. What direction is your life steering? What, what is the end outcome? If, if the end outcome in sanctification is that I've already reached a state in God's book of life where I'm written and He's satisfied and He's justified me and, he's, and the wrath is off of me and I'm an adopted child. So at some point, I'm going to be in His glory. The Holy Spirit guarantees that, the Scriptures say. So with that in mind, that's where I want to be. That's my desire. If God has done this for me, there's a holy aspiration. His ambitions become flooding into my life and start to take over my mind. A renewing of my mind. Sanctification says there's a direction. I think sanctification is a direction. Are you living in the direction of where God is working out His power in your life? And where does that direction lead you? It should lead to the glory of God. Truth is, as we're journeying, we're sojourners, as we journey together as a community of faith, as we journey with Jesus Christ, placing our belief and our our faith in Jesus Christ, the one who is perfected, the one who is glory, as he dwells with us, what is that journey like and how how are we allowing God to participate in our lives? And so it's a direction, it's a power, it's an enablement that God does for us. So, Um, I just thought there's no simpler way than to read what somebody wrote in the 1600s. But somebody did make it in more modern language. The guy was writing with ridiculous, you know, probably these and thous and all of these other things in England. This is uh, uh, an English preacher that wrote a book called Pilgrim's Progress. It's by John Bunyan. And uh, what it is, it's about a character named Christian. And the character named Christian runs into all of these characters as he's leaving um, the city of destruction and going towards Zion, right? The city eternal. And it's about his journey, and there's some conversations in it. And I thought uh, I'd read a little bit from that. So we're going to have story time, okay? Just settle down. I don't have blankies for you. I don't want to catch you sucking your thumb like my kids. But here we go. 
Now, this is from Pilgrim's Progress, just talking a little bit about the journey. The character he's speaking to at this point, is his name is Piety. Okay. Brother Christian, what has caused you at first to come on this pilgrimage? I became troubled about my sins from reading the book which the pilgrims gave me, and I was warned by a voice that kept ringing in my ears. The voice said that my town and country were condemned and marked for destruction. This gave me a great burden. While seeking to be free from my burden, I was instructed by an evangelist to come this way to find relief, piety. Evangelist pointed you to the, the wicket gate, did he not? And you came by the house of the interpreter? Yes, the interpreter showed me many marvelous things. I could have stayed in the house a year, but I knew I had to go on. I still wore my old clothes from the city of destruction and carried my burden, and he showed me the way to the cross. What did you find at the cross? I found peace. I had a vision of one bleeding, dying on the cross for my sins. Then my burden rolled away, and great joy came into my heart. I received this mark here on my forehead and was given this coat I'm wearing and this sacred roll I hold in my hand by three shining ones that appeared and vanished. Piety. But you saw other things on the way, I suppose. Yes, but these were the more important. I also saw sloth, simple, and presumption sleeping by the way. And I tried to wake them up, but they were too sleepy I saw formality and hypocrisy come over the wall. They walked with me a little way until I came to this hill where they left me and took easier roads. Do you think sometimes of the country you came from? Asked Prudence. Christian says, yes, but with shame and regret. But if I had preferred the country I came from, I would have returned to it, for I have had ample opportunity to do so. But now I desire a better country, a heavenly one. Prudence says, Do you not still have some of the old country in you? Yes, to my humiliation. I still have an old inward carnal thought, such as my countrymen, as well as myself, I once delighted in. But now they are my grief and not my joy. If I could be rid of my fleshly nature and do all I choose, I would never have another evil thought. But I find even now when I would do good, Evil is present with me. Do you find at times that those carnal thoughts of which you, which you speak seem to be purged? Yes, those times are golden hours of my life. However, these experiences I do not have as often I would, and they do not last as long, and I wish that, that I wish that they might. Prudence says, can you remember by what means you obtain these victorious, happy experiences? Christian says, Yes, when I think on water, uh, when I think on what I saw and what I received at the cross, of when I think of the country to which I'm going, or read from the pilgrim's book and pray, all doubts and fears and anxieties and cares and all evil seem to vanish away. Yet I feel that it is not I myself achieving this, but the spirit of him who loved me and gave himself for me, which gives you such strong desire to go to Mount Zion. Oh, I want to be with him who gave himself for my sins and has given me eternal life. I want to be with him, those who are like him, and be free from pain and trouble and iniquity forever. Have you a family, asked Charity? Yes, I have a wife and four children. 
And why did you not bring them along with you? Weeping. Christian says, Oh, how gladly would I have done so, but they all were so utterly adverse to my coming. But did you talk to them and try to show them the sinfulness and the place and the danger of staying behind? And did you plead with them to come along with you? Yes, with all my power. I told them also what God had revealed to me of the destruction of the place, but I seemed to them as one who mocked and they would not believe me, Charity said. But did you pray to God that he would bless your message to them? Yes, with all the earnestness of my soul and all the love of my heart, for my wife and children are very dear to me. But did you tell them of your own sorrow and fear of destruction? Yes, over and over and over again, often weeping. But what did they say? Did they tell you why they would not come? My wife said it was foolish to give up the whole world for a fancy, and my children were completely wrapped up in their present joys. The trivial things of youth, Charity said, but did, you own vain, did, did your own vain life nullify your earnest persuasions and destroy your testimony? Well, indeed, I cannot commend my life, for I am conscious of many failings, and I realize a person by his daily living may annul his good arguments and persuasion. Yet I was very careful not to give my family any occasion for offense at my unseemly conduct. I did not want them to be averse to going with me, but they often told me that I was too precise, that I denied myself of things for their sake, in which they could see no evil. If they saw anything in me that hindered them from accepting the truth and coming with me, it was my extreme carefulness not to sin against God or do any wrong to anyone. The journey that he's on toward holiness. He talks about the tension that he has with other people. He's talking with other points of view that, that, that are on the way sometimes. Sometimes people come over the wall and join the way and join the pilgrimage. But he says, the word that the pilgrims gave me, the book that they gave me, it keeps bringing me back to the way. And nothing becomes more important as he has a vision for what was done for him at the cross as he travels. For the one who was at the cross is who he desires and has ambition to see, to be with. Let's stand as we read our one verse. And as, as I read this verse, or say this verse to you, um, I ask that you would think about the salvation that God's given you and how you're wearing that salvation. And is our ambition towards holiness? Could we be accused and do we find ourselves in tension with our family members, our neighbors, because of certain decisions that we make that they become averse to, but we know that this is the way that we travel as pilgrims of Christ. Okay, so Philippians 2.13 For it is God for it is God that works in us both to the will and the work for His good pleasure. For it is God who works in you. Remember, the you is us as well. For it is God who works 
in you both to will and work for his good pleasure. You may be seated. Okay, so the first little part there is, for it is God. It's God. It's not an outside source. It's not uh, anyone but God. It's His person. And so uh, the crux of this is that it's God who does the work in you. But if you notice, and I think I even prayed something like this, that it is God, it is His person, it is a noble, personable God that wants to be a part of our salvation, that is a part of our salvation. And we know at the end of the Scripture, it says that He takes great pleasure in that. But it is a, is a God that knows you intimately. Read Psalm 139 sometime and, and understand how well God knows you and what the journey is of, of being known by God. But it is his person. This whole verse, if you look at this verse, if you're a note taker, just look at that. It is God. Well, that's his person, right? And the next part says, who works? That would be his power. So it's God. His person. Who works. That's his power in you, right? The next one is, in you. which would mean His presence in you. Both to will and to work. That would be His purpose. See, the whole verse is about Him and for His good pleasure. His pleasure. This whole verse is about God interacting with your life because it's His power, His pleasure to do so, His presence, but His person a lot of times we, we substitute that. I have some friends that I think they must have got tired of, of God's presence. They must have got tired of it being God. I have two friends that used to go to seminary here in town, and I reconnected with them through Facebook, and we were just talking. And then I just popped up their info pages. And, um, and it was really sad to see that they're not following Christ. They don't desire to follow Christ. It's not Him working in them anymore. They're choosing a different power. His work in, in this, that gets translated to energio, where we obviously get the word energy, His power, His work in us. And so this is what two of my friends have turned from Christ and said. One of them writes on his Facebook, basically I'm an amateur Buddhist, a part-time humanist, and a full-time bohemian. I take the things I care about very seriously, but not myself so much. A good balance, I hope. My other friend who even left the country, lives in New Zealand now, um, he writes, I'm a pagan, earth-based spiritualist. And then in the coffee shop this morning, there's advertisements for you to, to, to not deal with the person of who God is. There's opportunities for you to deal with something more vague. So it's really important for us to understand it's his person. It's a person. There's an intimacy. There's, there's thought and emotion with God. And, or you can, we can be a part of uh, an organization that provides empowerment training nationwide, but it has nothing to do with a person. It has to do with a system. Or it has to do with a philosophy. 
uh, many gods, a lot of times if you talk to people and they'll say God is in my life, you'll find out that it's very vague. It's not a person. There's no personality to the God or the higher power. They can attribute that to anything that they'd like in order for the energy, the work of God to start working through them. It could be a head of lettuce or a, or a doorknob. And, and, but they can say that that's where I'm receiving my power. So where do we take our, our needs, our desire to travel as pilgrims, as we see that there's a holy destination full of God's glory? We take it to a person. But the world is, is definitely, I want to read this next one, but there's many, many ways uh, to destruction. There's other powers. There's, there's the power of Satan. There's the power of our own flesh. And so God says in this sanctification process, in the one where He's coming over and molding and shaping your life, He is the power. He's the one inside of you. These are not outside powers. It is God working inside of us, and then we work outside of that. That is our beginning point. We have been justified. What's the difference between justification, another holy, religious-sounding word? What is justification? Is That means that God has justified you into His presence. He has adopted you through His Son. That is the beginning point of your regeneration, where God, at a cellular level, not a how you actually wear your clothes or what sh- place you show up to or the things that you do, but on the inside, God is working inside of you, and God is reaching for you the depth of your soul and as the Holy Spirit moves inside you and begins to regenerate you, you are justified before a holy God. And then that is when the process starts. And so what is happening here in this Scripture, this very simple Scripture, is that this indeed is the pattern of life. You've been saved. God is saying it is not a one-time shot. Sanctification means it's a process of the direction as God continues to call you into His ultimate presence. And so as you see that a life of sanctification, as you follow Jesus, and as His Word pierces you, as He uses tools to shape you, sometimes even suffering, right? Certainly of prayer and of His very Word, because His Word is distinct. As His Word continues to pour over you and change you, you will find that it is a pattern that God not only saved you once, but God is continuously saving you. That's the gospel. That It's not this one-time event that we go, good job Jesus, victory, scoreboard Satan. It's God is continuously acting upon our behalf. God is, uh, God is praying for us. God is moving among us, and God is changing us. It is a life of change and of transformation. And this life of change that happens in you, a perfect and sovereign God, a God who has total self-sufficiency, a God who is completely independent. He takes no bribes. He does no special deals. He sits perfectly in holiness. What brings God, total, sufficient, independent God, pleasure? Is your transformation. The changes that happen in you please God. Who needs nothing? What do you get the person who has everything? Right? You're going to that birthday party, that anniversary. What do we get God? He just seems to have, well, He made everything. He not only has it, He made it all. 
His great pleasure is in your sanctifying process when, when you become more like Him. There's a song that I was reminded of this morning in the shower. My family hears me sing from that shower all the time. So I'm like, there's a song from the 80s by a band called Simple Minds. And uh, they have a song called Sanctify Me. So I'm like, sanctify, sanctify yourself. Sanctify And then the line is, be a part of me. Sanctify yourself. Be a part of me. The more you are changed, the more you become a part of God's economy. I have no idea if that guy knows what he's really singing. sanctified, to be a part of the process. And when you begin to change, and that brings great pleasure to God, you know what brings God great pleasure? And Jesus knew this because of the despair that he had previous to going to the cross. Is to be a part of God. To be a part of what he has for us. Do you know that that's super exciting? Right, I'm kind of cutting to the chase. This is the last part of the verse. But I want you to envision that as you're suffering, as you're praying, as you're lifting your voice to God, that as you're moving through your life, that God, just imagination, because He's with you. He's never going to leave you or forsake you. He's with us now. The Holy Spirit's been sent with us. But I'm thinking of God the Father cheering us on and taking great pleasure when we learn and different areas of our lives are being resaved and, and sanctified and saved again and saved again. That God is rooting for us and He's cheering for us. As you have your place following Jesus, as you find your place in the kingdom, that God is stoked and excited and rooting you on as the Holy Spirit's moving. And as you release your life, as you begin to be less of you, as you begin to die off, as you begin to see real gain is, is dying uh, to self and to living in Christ, as you begin to live that process, God is ecstatic. God is finding great pleasure in your life. That's a person. His person finds great pleasure in you and your transformation. That is a real humdinger of a concept. Many times when I'm crafting, reading, writing a sermon, I think, what will they not believe? And this is the greatest tragedy I think that people do not believe is that God is so very interested in you. Yes, He is a person who loves you so deeply. He's so excited when something of evil or sin or a fleshly desire, something that is separating you from Him, goes away. Do you want to be more with God than allow the sanctifying process to bring you there? He's really scholarshiped us. I get an F in life all of the time and God goes, full ride. Full ride? Yeah. Well, God, full ride. I'm really just, if, if really what this means is your work, it's your work in my life, God, I don't sense me doing very much that could be accredited. That's right. You're auditing life as a course. And I'm giving a full scholarship to it. Nothing can be accredited to you when it comes to becoming holy. 
full ride. A full ride. Go from the city of brokenness together and my Holy Spirit will move among you and my word will prompt you and you will pray and you will meditate on things that are holy and you will understand that it is me. I am the power. That's the story. That's what we get to do together. That's what the story is. is, Hey, how's life going? What's going on? Yeah, we're dealing with very practical things, but we're traveling with God. And you know, He's using the situations that seem annoying probably the most. It's His personhood. Do you know that God's affections for you are that none would perish. Do you know that the Scriptures say that no one would die in the way of the world, but that you would be saved? And some of you know that He has chosen you and elected you and brought you to a point where He's asking you to act on what's happened inside of you. That's where you work that out. He has worked in a way to illuminate and illustrate Himself into your life. And He's asking for you to allow that spiritual working to manifest itself through your obedience, through the way you follow Jesus. Do you know that God wants to save you once again? You know what the great assertion here, the real lean in to our souls, to our real conflict is, are you letting God save you once again? Or is your pride in the way? Do you not want to believe that you are broken? No one is good, not one. Do you know that you are broken? The quicker we recognize that you are sin. You have sin in you. You are not sin. But you have sin in you. When you recognize the sin and the separation that you have from God, that is the beginning of another sanctifying process. We have this notion over and over again that God doesn't want anything to do with the stinky things of our life. No, the truth is is we want nothing to do with the stinky things in our life, so we even fail to recognize them. Take some time to be in the presence of God and allow Him to tell you He's You don't have to worry. He's not going to hurt you. Let Him tell you the truth when you read His Word. Let me suggest a way to do that. It's a Catholic way. It's called Lectio Divina. Lectio means several times you're looking over the Word of God. It's kind of like you're getting ready for a really good meal. My wife made a rocking meal last night and I just couldn't stand the smell and I was ready to start picking at stuff. Just trying just to allow that to happen. But as you come before God's Word and you open His Word and you start to allow that to ruminate. And then you meditate. You 
gravitate towards it and you 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 begin to speak inwardly to say holy spirit illuminate this now it's not going to be some special revelation that's really dangerous so as you're reading over and over and you're saying lord what would you have to say to me and as you begin to read you're asking god to bring something to quicken inside of you remember this is all inside of you this isn't outside of him or his will or his person this is who he is So his person and his work that will be done through his word will prompt you to this lecteo, this going over it, and then meditating. And it won't be a special revelation outside of what God has already said. This won't be some new idea. This will be him confirming what's already, as Romans says, written on your heart. He will quicken and the Holy Spirit will illuminate what God's always been about. It was really good theology in that song where we saw God from yesterday to present to tomorrow. Same God, same rhythm, same life. Do you see what's happening here? God has been with His people and been doing this process forever. You'll see in Ezekiel 37. Go look at Ezekiel 37 because we don't have time today. But it's such a beautiful story of how God is dwelling in His people through the process. And then we see Paul speaking and reminding the Philippians, this is the process. This is how God does it, isn't it? This is how God saves you, not just once, but He continues to save and to show up in your life. And then today, God is doing this once again, calling us to this. Through His person and through His power, the Word of God. Let's go to Ephesians 3.14. It says this in Ephesians 3.14. It says, for this reason, this is the strength that we're talking about. So if we say it's, it's His person, it's God showing up, very clear, God of the Bible, Jesus, who He said He was, the fulfillment of all the laws and the prophets, everything that Jesus is, and then talking about His person and then His work, the energy, the power, the the strength that God gives us to be a changed people. And then in that, so really, I'm sorry, we are going to read this. Everybody's like, come on already. Okay. Where are we at in this message anyway? We never know, do we? But here's the deal. Um, God has tools and instruments that work in this sanctifying process. So, we, so last week, Royce was saying, here's some practical f- actions for you to be a part of the process. One, follow Jesus. Two, realize you have a place, a role, a responsibility in the kingdom. And then he went on to say a few more practical things. Well, here are the, now when God says, okay, you're following and you're moving forward and you're coming towards me as I call you. Now here's the tools that God uses. So part of the power and the work is, is, is the word of God. So when God speaks, his words are not like ours. When God speaks, they're as promises. They're as good as done. They manifest themselves. So we go to his word. That's the first tool that God uses in our life. And number two is the is prayer. And this is why I thought it'd be good to get into Ephesians because we'd see the power and the strength of prayer as God uses it as a tool, okay? I want to give you a backdrop to this too. I had a conversation this week. We're going to get to the Ephesians piece. Settle down. Um, 
I talked to this guy that his sister had heard about this pastor in Portland in this neighborhood that's a little tougher, and her brother's in Portland, and he's a meth addict, and he's gotten involved with uh, drugs and some crime, and so she says from Northern California, would you talk to my brother if I gave him your number? And I said, yeah, I'd talk to your brother. And uh, so her brother called me the other day, and I was out on the corner, and and we're talking, and um, I'm hearing about his life. He's very familiar with the city of destruction. He's living as a citizen of brokenness, and he's, he's very broken. And he said this line to me as to why this is important here for us. He said, I have no tools for life. I don't know how to live life. I have no tools. I want you to... to Have a gratefulness, a thankfulness of the tools that God has put into your life as a community to live and to change. And you are being changed. Your lives are changing. This isn't just some concept. Hey, God changes our life. And guess what? He takes great pleasure in it. No, God really takes great pleasure in the change that happens in our lives. And this man is saying, I have no tools for change. I'm going to meet with him this week. Maybe you would be praying this week that our talk would illuminate the need for the tools that God has for him. The instrument. Pray that the Holy Spirit would come upon him. Come upon ourselves. Well, for this reason, verse 14 of chapter 3 of Ephesians says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, not by yourself, with all the saints, What is the breadth and the length and the height and depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Here's a famous one. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work, energio, within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So prayer, as we ruminate, Lecteo Divina, going over the Scriptures, allowing God's Word to to counter the power of our flesh, to counter the power of Satan, that when we say, Lord, bring the instruments that You employ to shape our lives. One is the Word of God. Two is prayer. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We need this change. And as God pulls us in, He pulls us in, right? We are crushed by the idea of not being perfect. We're crushed by the idea that it can't be Can't it just be over with? Why do you always have to bring me into some suffering, 
Why do we always have to end up here, God, where it's really tough? I had a young leader a little while ago here at Red Sea. Uh, we were sitting there and we were having a little powwow and we were talking. And he looks right at me and he goes, I've had like 53 lessons. When will I be done? And sitting across from him, you, you don't want to be the one to go, never. <laughs> never. Not even just 53 more. Till the day you die. God is perfecting Himself in us. So, we do have suffering. And the question is this. In the suffering, when, when God brings us to suffering, so His Word comes into our life, it starts to quicken. We start to have conversation with God as we pray, as we meditate, as we begin to understand what He has for our lives, as, our, as sanctification is our direction, as we go, okay, so there's some glory that God's wanting out of this in His great pleasure. God takes great pleasure when He's glorified in our lives, when He's glorified in, in the change. The real nugget, when I go to sleep on Saturday nights at 2 in the morning, I wake up usually in the middle of the night and I go, what's the one thing that people need to know? What's the one thing, if I stuttered through the whole thing, that you need to have? And that's really hard to believe. God takes great pleasure in delivering you. As, as much shame and as much guilt that keeps us away from the communion table, that keeps us away from intimacy and, and talking and communing and being with God, what prevents us from praying, what prevents us from opening His Word, what prevents us from successfully making it through suffering, what, what causes the stoppage in the process of your life glorifying God of His pleasure is, is that we don't believe that God actually likes being the deliverer. And we certainly, the sub-piece, which I've already stated is, we really don't like to think of ourselves as helpless. We don't like to think that we need God's help. Let me say this to you. A sign of Christian immaturity is when at a given moment you cannot locate your current sin. What I'm saying is as you grow and mature and as God has done this process many times in you, as He continues to save you, a point of immature Christ following is at, at any given time, if you could not in your conversation with God say, this is the blockage, this is stopping the next stop, isn't it? This is what's causing my relationship to not be wholly suffering, but I'm making others suffer, right? This is where I'm affecting others, God. This is where I don't have the long haul in me is because I'm not allowing you to save me once again from this. If you have a hard time recognizing your own sin, I have news for you. This is a hard assertion to say to you. I'm not going to be popular after today, but you can talk about me at lunch. If you are not understanding and recognizing your sin at a given moment, you are an immature Christian. You are not versed in God not saving you just once, but God taking pleasure. And I want to say and raise the stakes up even higher because your self-esteem might have been hurt by that. That's but you don't understand that God, you're restricting the pleasure that God finds in your life by Him 
by you allowing and receiving and welcoming His hand and His work in your life. You are, you are not allowing God to find great pleasure in what God does. He delivers you. That's what God does. So don't restrict that. Find that it is in His person. It is God who works in you to will and work for His good pleasure. That's today's verse. It's all about God. It's all about us allowing God to saturate our hearts and our lives and our sin. He will take your sin away. So, it's not just past liberation, past freedom that He gave us. Look at Philippians 1.6. That means turn the page back one. It says this, And I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's the process right there as well. See, Paul has this in mind as he's writing this letter. He's saying, this is the process. God's completing things in us. And it will be completely done when Jesus shows up. It's over. The process, the suffering, the way that we pray, it will be magnified and very different then. But he's saying, do you remember that day? He's saying, God started a work in you that's going to continue. And then look at uh, 127. 127 says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit and of one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. The one is saying, God started something in you to complete. Stay in community. He's... He's completing things in you. This is the way that we travel together. We do this plurally. There's no individualism. And God continues. And then the present is, are we living the life that's worthy of the Gospel? And then He says this in 2.11. Look at 2.11. And then He gives us a future. So He gave us the past to say, remember, God saved you. And He still has a work He wants to complete in you. And He wants you to live a life worthy. And then He says this in 2.11. He says, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is God's will. When it says, when the verse today that we see, we see His presence, that He's in us and it's intimate, and then we see uh, the, the last part of our verse 13, it says to will and to work. We see His purpose. His purpose is, is His will. It's not a whim. It's not some just quick emotion that God has. God's, God's asking us to realize with humility that our lives fall short and that His will and work He's asking us to take on. God's asking us to have the same heart set for the people in our neighborhood. He's asking us to have the same ambition for somebody else's life. Remember in Philippians, He said, put somebody else ahead of you. That, that you would care more about your brother than of your path. 
So it's one thing for you to be in this sanctifying process, but you need to realize the reason it's an encouragement for us to show up all of the time is because not because we want to do church and we just want to be good, happy Red Sea. It's God's using each other through this sanctifying process. As the will and the work of Him continues to work through each other, we become encouraged and iron sharpens iron and God's having us speak His Word and we're praying together. Remember, this isn't just read His Word by yourself. We read it together. We pray together. We do that in large settings, a little smaller settings. Sometimes we do it in settings of two or three. But this is the process that God is bringing us through. It's very important that we show up to be changed with each other. And that change happens and it testifies to the world. That's the mission of the gospel is that we say God has changed us so because of our love for the gospel, there is a joy and righteousness that's coming to our life that cannot ever be accredited to us. His pleasure. This week, as I got to interact with each of my children as a father, Amanda, she went to New York City this week to go have fun. And when she's talking about her trip, her eyes light up at different points. And it's, when her eyes light up, it's because that's something that's going to connect with my dad. My dad loves Manhattan, but my dad loves Brooklyn. So like on Facebook, it's like, I'm going over the Brooklyn Bridge. And I'm like, yeah, that's what my girl's doing. That's Amanda. And Amanda, when she's at UP or when she went to uh, another Catholic high school, she would talk about the theological things. And she'd come in and she'd, I'd look at her right in the eyes and she'd go, Dad, then the professor said this, this. And I was just like, that sounds kooky. And the word says this. And we're having our connection. And I'm like, this is the surge. This is the work of, of just being Garmin. As a Garmin dad, some of the influence that I've put into my kids and when I watch it come back. And then I just think of Zach. Zach likes to write raps. And whenever we start to talk, he kind of does me a little favor and he says, yeah, I like this old school rap. Like I like this guy named Eric B. and Rakim or APMD or all these old school rappers, right? Hip hop. When, he, when we're talking hip-hop, his eyes kind of light up. And he's like, yeah, I laid this down. And then I went to record it at the kids, with the kids at Lincoln. This one guy said it was sick. He's like, you guys, Garmin's writing lyrics that are above us and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, that's my son. And we're having this hip-hop connection. <laughs> and then Noah. <laughs> Yesterday, Noah's playing basketball. And when Noah playing basketball I'm cheering him on and it doesn't matter if he does well or not he does he's good at threes but he he played like a, a like Steve Nash yesterday he's just dishing the ball and being a little stud but when his eyes connect when he's on the bench and his dad's in the audience he knows that I'm pleased with him and when Chloe has a little fashionista moment <laughs> And, and I go, yeah, that's got flavor. Oh, we're doing a hat gig right now. And those colors, I never knew they went together, but they do like that. 
Or when she's just flat out being funny, she's got, Dad, I'm funny right here in this moment, don't I? A little surge. And Elijah, when we're wrestling, he's so stinking strong, the guy's like 30 years old, but when he starts to get his head going obnoxious, he'll rub it on my head to see who can out-pain each other. On like, And I'm like, I thought we'd just do the arm stuff, but he throws the head into it. And so, but when he does that and he's done, he's like, I got game, huh, Dad? I'm pretty tough. And we have that connection. I'm not even done, right? There's Moses. <laughs> one man in this room could go one more, right? And then when Mo draws the most hilarious art, accidentally like characters that flip you off and stuff. It's hilarious. And he's got this one he drew like the character's eyes are cross and he's flipping you off, but he doesn't know that. You're like, and what do you say? You're like, this is, this is brilliant, son. Let's put this in the dining room. So when everybody comes to our house, they get flipped off by this weird looking character on the wall. But when he comes to show me, he gets to know that his dad has pleasure in his art. And Solomon... When I come home, Solomon, you'd think, what's the three-year-old got? Solomon books through the hardwood floors, just as I can hear my key coming through. The minute I open that door, boom, 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 pop. What pleasure does the father have when you are being changed? the love that God has for you, that is seven kids with a human dad. Think of the Heavenly Father who has a full and wondrous plan for you. How He adores you. And when we take what we're not a proud of as an accomplishment, it's not basketball, it's not art, it's not hip-hop, it's not fashion, It's not traveling. It's when we have a spiritual pilgrimage with Him and His power works in us, it pleases Him. See, we could talk all day long and go, that's a sermon. This is the Bible. We can categorize all this. But we must remember this is a beautiful relationship with the One who adores His children. He has justified you to sanctify you. And the more you're sanctified, the more you're in His presence. God sent His Son, the King, to be with His kingdom. What king wants to be in the midst of the muck and mire of His kingdom? No, most leaders go, everybody is insulated from me. And this servant king came to be with us. What pleases God, the one who has everything? And what will please you most? is Jesus Christ. The One who makes sanctification possible. The power of Jesus. Our faith. So God gives us His Word and it's loaded with the power of His presence and of His life abundant to us that will complete you. Check this out. His Word is packed 
with power. You want to have that unleashed? Then walk by faith, by believing that word, and it will blow up in the most beautiful, fragrant way on your life, and your life will be changed. He has set us up to be a part of glory. And that setup was here when he took pleasure in his son being crushed. The process was started when he took pleasure in sending his son. So that death would no longer rule as kingdom here on earth. That there would be a kingdom that those who were saved by Jesus would begin to walk into the kingdom. The more sanctified you are, the more you get to be a part of what God's actually doing here. A city within this city. A family within some families. He has a spiritual economy that He has invited us all into. And that was set up by Jesus dying on the cross and having victory over the brokenness that we have, over the sin that we have, over the shame we experience. God has a plan for you and He takes great pleasure in the transformation of your identity, of your life, and of the way you live. So today, I want to invite you to the table If you have never asked God for forgiveness, God wants to forgive you. Don't worry about what you're bringing to the relationship with God. God wants to transform the relationship. You have nothing to bring. He's brought His Son and that symbol of His broken body at the cross of of Calvary for your forgiveness. And this, His blood that ran is symbolized through this juice and this wine so that we can be reconciled with Him once again. Do not worry or have anxiety or burden that would keep you out of the relationship with God or causing you to move and mature and grow in your Christianity. Come to this table today. As the, as the uh, musicians are coming up, I'm going to ask you to stand. Let's pray. Lord God, I ask, Lord, that Your Word, that for it is God, for it is You as a person, Lord, that works in us, that You give us that power, that energy, just the things that when my kids, they light up, Lord, I ask that that power would come into us, that this Word of Yours today in Philippians, that we would recognize that it is You and You and Your work and Your power, and that is the Holy Spirit working in us, energizing us. We don't feel like moving forward, especially spiritually. We want to be on the spiritual couch. But Lord, that You would give us the energy and the desire, and it says that You will, that You work in us toward Your will and toward Your work so that we would get on mission with You and have the same ambitions for our friends and our neighbors, even our spouses. Lord, that You would use Your Word and prayer and suffering, that we would be willing to suffer in relationship, that we would suffer for the long haul until there would be glory into our marriages, until there would be glory in our friendships, that You would sanctify and create sacred environments among Your people, among our unity, having same mind and same love, Lord. We thank You that our response is to live 
this way has changed people, not just one-time change. Oh yeah, Jesus came to me that one day. But that you would keep working on us. And all of this brings you good pleasure? We love you, Lord. We want to bring you good pleasure. What's crazy, Lord, is we are auditing. We are in it for the ride. So please invade our hearts the more. Convict us of not acting helpless. Convict us of pride, of control. Convict us of rewording our sins so it just sounds like we just don't get it or others just don't get us. Let us, Lord, be convicted of our sin. That we need You. We need You, Jesus. We're glad that You were not crucified more than once, but our sins and our lack of belief seem to be continuously crucifying You. Lord, let us live in victory and allow You to saturate our innermost being. I love You, God. I know these people love You. Will You help us to be united? To forgive one another? To reconcile? To have the strength to move forward and accomplish things that we could never be accredited for? That only You credit for. Lord, humble us today. We want to come to You and sing because we recognize our need for Jesus today. We'll sing these songs out of admiration and adoration. Thank You, God, for Your Word that is true. Thank You, God, that You're not insecure to the point where You're trying to prove Yourself, but that You are proven. And that Your Word is bond. And that when we pray and lift our voices, You hear. Help us to be in conversations with You much more lengthy than we have been. Help us to join each other. We love You, God. We look forward to the increase of Your glory and pleasure in our lives. We will humble ourselves, Lord. Thank You, Holy Spirit, for assuring us that it's safe. That that much power will not clobber us, but is being used for us. Thank You, Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.